Welcome to the IC Made On podcast. We are so glad that you've chosen to listen online. If you would like to know more about who we are, why we exist, our service times and location, or how you can get involved, then check out our website at icmadeon.com. We hope you enjoy the message today. Thank you so much. Are we on? We got power? Can you hear me? All right. Sweet. I just had some more made on coffee, so I'm, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. <laughs> it's great to be here. Thank you so much. We've just felt so much at home and part of your church family. And uh, how many know how blessed you are to be part of a church like this that God is doing? It's a special new thing. Amen. Amen. God has a special plan for this, this church family, but he wants it to be something that grows and spreads all over. And uh, I am so grateful for... Uh, Pastor Chris and Carrie, and how God has brought them. God's given them a vision. How many know how blessed you are to have them as your leaders, your shepherds, your pastors? Yeah, amen. You know, God's method is a man, is a woman, is a, is a human being. That's how he works in the world, is through people made in his image. And so he gives a vision to someone, they spread it, they, you know, realize it, they fulfill it, and it spreads to others, and that's what's happening here. And it's spreading fast. Uh, you know, three and a half years ago when you started, I bet you never imagined that you'd be at this point already 500 plus on, on, on Sundays, and God is just, because it's God's time. This is God's time and God's hour in the world, and we're seeing that all over the world. We're going to learn more about that here uh, this afternoon, but God is doing amazing things that we've never seen happen in history before, and you are a part of that right here in Maidan, and God's vision isn't just for here in Maidan. It's beyond Sumatra, Indonesia, and throughout the world, okay? Uh, you can send missionaries just like missionaries were sent from America and Europe. God is sending missionaries out of Asia, amen? And so that's his plan. Um, so that we can go home, but we can't go home until the work is done. You know, we, we just sang about the cross, and Jesus could say, it is finished. His job was done, but ours isn't. Our job's not done yet. His business is big business. It's called saving the world, changing the world, but it's also unfinished business. And he's waiting for us to finish it. And the beautiful thing is, he gives us everything we need to finish it. But I'm getting a little ahead of myself here, but uh, it's so good to have uh, my wife, uh, Iris, here. She's, she's at the back there. Could you just stand up, baby, for those that may not know who you are? That's my, my better half. It's such a joy to have her with me, and uh, I, I encourage you to get to know her. You know, I promise you, you'll like her more than you like me. My own family likes her more than they like me. I like her. Everyone likes her more than they like me. That's just, you know, I just accept the truth. I just accept the facts. That's the way it's going to be. But uh, she's just a gift from the Lord to me. And uh, she's a very gifted uh, person. She's a very gifted and able writer and editor and works with me in our, in our daily ministry uh, every day. And, and uh, she has all kinds of abilities that I don't have. Uh, even some what you might consider traditional male-female abilities um, she has. Um, maybe an example of that might be, she is not from America. She's from the South Pacific, uh, Polynesia. Uh, the actual name of the country is Samoa, or Samoa, as many people pronounce it. And um, we were back some years ago. We've been back many, many times. We wanted our boys to connect with their family there and all that. So we've been back, oh, we've been together almost 35 years. We've been there 25, 26 times. We go and visit and spend time with the family. But we were there and we went, we had a day off. So we went to go to the beach and this beautiful scenic point. And so one of her sisters let us borrow their truck. Uh, 
So we went. We went to the, to the beach and the beautiful point, and we were finished. We came back. We were going to drive home, and we get in the truck, and, and I couldn't get it started. And you know how the steering wheel will lock sometime, and you're trying to get it released so that then you can start the ignition, you know. But I couldn't get it released, you know. I kept trying and trying and trying. And, I, you know, I'm feeling like a real loser, you know. I mean, here's a man. He can't even start a truck. How hard is that, you know. And uh, pathetic, and it's hot. Samo is very, very hot. We're sweating in this truck, and I'm getting frustrated, and my male ego is kind of hurting, and I'm, like, embarrassed. And, and so finally, she says, after minutes and minutes, we're just pouring sweat. She says, you know, can I try, you know? And I'm like, yeah, right. I'm sure you can start it, honey. If I can't start it, there's no way, you know. But I'm like, okay, sure, go ahead. If you think you can, you know. So I have her come around. I open the door, and I, I literally said, I said, dazzle me with your brilliance. And she proceeded to do that. She got in and she started the truck. Right away, man. It just started up. And our two, two sons who were much younger than they were sitting in the back seat. And I looked back and they're like, shoot, man. Dad, this is not looking good, Dad. But, you know, you can't put in what God left out. In other words, I'm never going to be super mechanical. I'm never going to be Mike the mechanic. I'm never going to be the handyman husband. Okay, my wife had to accept that. So she does all the fixing and everything, you know. Not, well, not quite, but almost. <laughs> but the point is that aren't you glad that God doesn't hold us accountable for abilities that we don't have? He doesn't expect us to do things that he knows he didn't give us the ability to do it. That's not the kind of father we have. That's not the kind of God he is. But he does expect us to fully use what he has put in our hands. Amen? He gives all of us natural abilities. He gives us all minds. Okay? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your, your strength, and your mind. Okay? We are to use this. And look at what mankind has done. Look at through the human history, all the inventions and the technology. It's staggering. But all those abilities came from our Creator, who gave them to us, made us in His likeness. Okay? But he expects us to fully use them, okay? And, and what's beautiful is, is that when we are faithful to use the abilities, the natural abilities he gives us, he will then give us more. If we're faithful with the abilities he gives us, he'll pour more into you, even supernatural abilities. And that's what he did with Moses. You remember he called Moses to, to deliver Israel out of bondage, out of slavery from Egypt. And Moses could not even speak in public like this. And he's supposed to lead anywhere. There, there are estimates. The, the, small, the lowest number was about 800,000 people of Hebrews, upwards to 2 million. And he's supposed to lead this massive group of people. And he can't even speak publicly. You know, He's like a stutterer with a stick. I mean, and he's supposed to lead this nation. But God says, what? What's in your hand, Moses? What's in your hand? And Moses just says, it's just a stick, Lord. I don't have anything. God says, just put it in my hand. Take what I've put in your hands. And with that, God used Moses to receive the Old Covenant, become the greatest prophet in the Old Testament, deliver them from bondage, cross the Red Sea. To this day, Passover, they celebrate the greatest miracle in all the Old Testament. Why? Because he just used what was in his hand, what God put there. In fact, he asked God, who do I say sent me? And what do we, we know it very well. What does God say his name was? I am who I am. 
But when you understand the Hebrew word in the original language of Hebrew, it literally means in that context, I'm sending you on this mission to set my people free. I will be whatever you need me to be. In other words, I will give you whatever ability you need to complete this mission. That's what that means when he says, I am that I am. I will be what you need me to be. And that's what he means when he goes in the New Testament, Acts 1.8. He says, you're going to receive power and be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost part of the earth. The word for power there, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, is the word dunamis. It's a Greek word. And many people, you know, you recognize the word dynamite kind of from dunamis, right? Well, that's where the word comes from. And yes... God's power can be like dynamite sometimes, amen? But that's not really the, the main meaning of the word. It simply means ability. God will give us all the ability we need, his ability, whatever it takes. That's what it means to fulfill this mission of reaching and saving the world. He says, I'm going to give you whatever it takes to finish that mission. And it's an overwhelming mission. But he says, I'm giving you the power. I'm giving you the ability to do it, okay? Okay. Up to any task. If you need to raise the dead, you have the ability to raise the dead when you have the power of the Spirit in you. Okay? If you need to preach to thousands, you have that ability. If you need to heal someone in the name of Jesus, you can heal them. If you need compassion for someone who is suffering, you have that. If you need wisdom that's beyond your natural wisdom, the Holy Spirit will give you that ability. Whatever it takes to finish the task and job. You see... God has put the task in our hands, but he's also put the ability to do it in our hands. Amen? He doesn't just give you the task. He gives you what you need in your hands to finish it and complete it. And that's what he does in his economy, in his kingdom. And you see it right away in Acts chapter 2. Who does God cho choose to be the speaker on the day of Pentecost, the day he launches his church? Was it some great... Theolo theologian, some great scholar, some great trained speaker and orator. No, he uses a simple fisherman named Peter to be the one who delivers that message, a prophetic message. He speaks to multitudes and thousands come to Christ that day. Because of what? Because of the dunamis, the ability of God in that simple fisherman. When you use your natural abilities, God will give you even supernatural abilities beyond what you thought you could do. Amen? And then the next chapter, Peter and John are going to the temple. Here's a beggar, a cripple. And, and Peter and John, they're not educated men. And they have no money. They've got nothing to offer this guy. Except what? Dunamis. The power of God in Jesus' name. And they heal him in the name of Jesus. Change his life forever. He never begs again. That's what God will do when he gives us the abilities we need. He puts the task in our hands, and he puts the ability to do it in our hands as well. Amen? God will do whatever it takes. You know, I, I remember a, a country preacher was asked by someone. They, they were talking to him about the Spirit's power and even speaking in tongues, talking in tongues and all of that. And this person asked this preacher, they said, uh, you know, do you, do you have to talk in tongues to go to heaven? And he said, go to heaven, man. I need to talk in tongues to go to town. We need the Spirit's power 
to go to town to take Jesus' resurrection life that we were singing about to real people in the real world with the life and love of Jesus. We need his spirit's power to go to town, to take it. To, that's why this church is here, okay? And, and, and Pastor Chris was saying this. You know, the, the Bible never tells the world to go to church. It commands the church to go to the world. Why would they just walk into church? Okay? They're not. We have to go and reach them. Jesus said, go out into the highways and byways. Reach them. Just as the God, the Son, came down to reach us. Now I'm sending you. Okay? And I'm giving you everything, whatever it takes, to reach them and bring them home to my family. Amen? God will give us all the ability we need to go to town. There was a man that lived in Oakland, California, and he was the custodian at a church. He was the janitor in that church, just cleaned the church for many years. He was a very simple man, relatively poor. He didn't make a lot of money. He just cleaned the church, and he was so shy. They said even on Sunday, he loved the Lord with all his heart, but on Sunday they said he couldn't even say hello to you. He couldn't even look you in the eye. He was so shy. But he loved Jesus with all his heart. They said he'd be in the altar praying for people to come to Jesus. But he couldn't even hardly talk to people. Well, one day they noticed he'd been working there for years. And for several days he hadn't been cleaning the church. So the pastor and a couple of the staff went next door to his little apartment next to the church. And there he was lying on the floor. He had died. He had gone home to be with Jesus. And so they gathered together the few possessions that he had. He didn't have a lot. And they found a stack of notebooks, and they opened those notebooks up, and every page was filled with names, and beside each name was a place and a date that he had written down. And as they were reading through these pages, they realized that this man, this shy, quiet man, according to the record, his own record, had gone out almost every day into the malls and to the streets, and to the parks, and he had told people about Jesus. And then he would write down their name, and he'd come home, and he would pray for them, and pray that the Holy Spirit would work in their life and change their hearts. The Spirit's ability, the dunamis, the power, the love of Jesus drove him even beyond his natural ability to talk to people, his natural personality. Okay, They counted up. The number of names in those paths. And there were over 30,000 names of people that shy man had personally shared Jesus with one by one by one. A quiet, shy man personally witnessed to and reached over 30,000 people because of the dunamis, the ability of God in his heart. Amen? How many want that kind of ability? You don't have to be special. He couldn't even say hi to you. Forget being a preacher. But he reached more people than a lot of preachers ever meet, reach. Are you with me? That's all it takes is God's ability to do that. But God, God will give us an ability also to love others beyond our natural ability to love. You know, we humans... We, we, we try to love, but unfortunately, we tend to be self-centered human beings. We love people who are like us. So we like to love people that look like us, that talk like us, that eat like us. They're just like me. They're my kind of people, not people different than me. But you see, that's the problem. That's not love. That's easy. 
Jesus said that. If you love people who love you, big deal. Everybody does that. That's not love, okay? That's just social survival. That's just being nice to people who are nice to you. That doesn't take any great strength. That doesn't take any great love to love someone who's just like you and who loves you back. That's not love. But he says, I tell you, love your enemies. Love people who are different than you. Love people who don't do things the way you want them to or the way you think they should. You know, even in our families and relationships, even in marriage sometimes. I mean, no, you marry someone, sometimes they don't always do what you want them to do. You know, your wife or husband doesn't always, it's, that's what living together, you know, I'm, some of you may have heard of um, Ravi Zacharias, the, the, the well-known um, uh, apologist and, and evangelist. And he was in university, he was about 20 years old, 21 maybe, and he was in class and the professor was talking about love that day and the professor said, he said, real love is hard work. And he kept talking about, and teaching about love and, this, and human relationships and all of that. And, and while he was talking, Ravi was thinking, he said, you know, I don't agree with that. I, I, I disagree with the professor. How can real love be hard work? So he stood up and he said to the professor, he said, I'm sorry, professor, but uh, I have to disagree with you. I think you're wrong. He said, how can real love be hard work? If, if it's real love, it's not going to be hard. And the professor said, well... He said, Mr. Zacharias, he said, um, are you married? And uh, Ravi said, no. And the professor said, well, sit down and shut up then. <laughs> In other words, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know what real love is, okay? It's easy to, to love when you don't have to live with someone and live with the differences and all. Real love learns to love someone for a lifetime. You want to know what real love is when we're talking about marriage? It's not love at first sight. That's not love. A lot of people, they fall in love when they first meet each other. That's not love. That's just chemistry. That's just infatuation. But that's, they haven't even started to love yet. That's a, just a feeling and a chemistry. Real love is not love at first sight. It's love at last sight. At the end of your life together. When you've learned to love someone for a lifetime with all of their human frailties, all of their weaknesses, all of it. Now you're learning what real love is. Are you with me? And only Jesus can give that kind of true, unconditional love. Okay? God gives us that ability that we do not naturally have. And we will learn to love people that we don't even understand. People from other races, other cultures, things like that. You know, my, uh, my younger son lives in Texas. And uh, some of you may be familiar with Texas in America. It's kind of cowboy country. And, you know, they drive trucks and they have guns. And that's cowboy country, baby. Yeehaw! And, and so it's, 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 it's an interesting place. Well, my son told me the story of uh, this, this kid, this, this Asian kid that had immigrated to America. And it was the first day of the school year. So he came to school and there was a local Texan student, local Texan kid in the school and uh, he was trying to be really friendly to the kid. And, and this, this local Texan, he, he didn't know a lot about other countries and cultures in the world. And so to him, you know, all Asians are either Japanese or Chinese. That, that's all there is in Asia, is Japan and China, you know. I mean, that's how ignorant he was. That's all he understands, you know. And so he comes up to this kid, and uh, he's trying to be friendly. He says, hey, you know, he says, I see you're, you know, you're not from around these parts here, pard, you know. And, and uh he says, so are you, are you Japanese or Chinese? 
And the, and the kid said, he says, no, no, he said, I, I'm, from, uh, I'm from Laos. I'm Laotian, you know. And, and the Texas kid says, oh, okay, I, I got it. Okay, cool. So, so uh, are you Japanese or Chinese? <laughs> you know, even if we don't understand other people that may be from another part of the world or another suku or whatever it is, but, you know, you can love completely without complete understanding. You don't have to understand it, but you still know they are a child of God made in his image. And you learn to love them unconditionally and completely because they are just as important to God as I am, as you are. You see, every child of God is his favorite. Did you realize you are God's favorite child? But I'm God's favorite child too. And so are you. And so are you. You say, how can everyone be his favorite child? Because God's the only one that can love like that. Everyone, as we say, is the apple of his eye. Every one of them. As we've heard sung, if I would have been the only one in the world, he still would have died for me. Because that's the kind of love he has. We don't have that ability to love like that. But he will give it to us. As we allow the spirit to work, the dunamis, the ability of God to give us his kind of heart. We can learn to, to love people from even other parts of the world like our brother. They are our lost brothers and sisters. I was born in East Africa in the country of Tanzania. My parents were missionaries there. And my, my dad uh, learned both, both the languages there. Swahili is the, is, the, is the trade language of East Africa. He learned that to preach on that. But he also learned the local language, the tribal language of Kinyakusa. And he was actually the first uh, white man to ever learn that local tribal language and, and to learn it fluently. But he and my mother loved, loved their African brothers and sisters so much. And, and they found out years later that the Africans, their African Christians gave the missionaries nicknames, secret nicknames, that the missionaries never knew about them. And some of them were very interesting, but years later my dad find out, found out that the nickname that they gave my dad was simply the name Beloved because they loved him so much because they knew he first loved them so much. They knew that they were not his black brothers and sisters. He was not their white brother. They were just brothers. Are you with me? We don't see each other according to color or culture or class. Okay? We are all made in his image. We are all brothers and sisters. Every child is his favorite. Lost and found. Okay? And we are sent to reach our lost brothers and sisters. Well, my dad almost died in Tanzania. He worked so hard he ended up having a bleeding ulcer. He lost about 90% of his stomach, almost did not make the trip home, and we had to leave Africa. It broke my parents' heart. They planned on spending the rest of their lives in Africa. I had just been born. I was a baby in my mother's uh, arms as we were leaving Africa, and we were there in Mbeya, Tanzania. It was actually called Tanganyika then, and there was a whole crowd of African Christians, brothers and sisters at the airport to say goodbye to my parents. They loved them so much. And my dad was lying on a stretcher. He was, he was dying. They were carrying him, putting him on the airplane. And just before we boarded the plane, a brother named Asanguisie, who had dedicated me as a baby to the Lord. When I was born, my parents asked him to dedicate me as a baby to the Lord. He was a very dear friend of my dad. My dad had discipled him and taught him and befriended him. He could not control himself, and he climbed the fence 
and he ran across that runway. And when he got to my dad lying on the stretcher dying, he reached down and he put his arms around him. And in the Kinyakusa language, he said, Nikukugana, Nikukugana, Watwari Umbumi Kumyangu. I love you, I love you, because you brought me life. Friends, that's the love of Jesus in our heart that enables us to love someone on the other side of the world, totally different from us, different language. They are our brother. Only Jesus can give you that ability to love people like that. But even he gives us the ability to love our enemies. Following World War II, after the Japanese armies had ravaged the Philippines and much of Asia, and it was a terrible time, we, we know, and, and the war was over, everyone was just rejoicing, it was peace again, and, and, and all of the killing and everything was over, and all of the war crimes, it was terrible. And they had a meeting of all the Assemblies of God churches and fellowship in Manila, the capital of the Philippines. And so they came from all over Asia, and in that hall that night, they were worshiping God, they were celebrating the war was over, singing, and then arriving late to the service was the Japanese brothers and sisters, the delegation from Japan. And in that hall, in that auditorium that night, there were many Filipinos there that had had family members who had been robbed and murdered and even raped by Japanese soldiers. And now they were looking on their Japanese brothers and sisters for the first time since that war. And it went silent. They stopped singing. It was just silent. And they looked at them. And, and it was just electric, the atmosphere. And it was so tense that the, the Filipinos had been raised to hate the Japanese because of what the Japanese armies had done in the Philippines to their people. Then Brother Yumiyama from the Japanese delegation asked to speak. And he came to the platform and he said, I want to ask you, our brothers and sisters, to forgive us. He said, for the atrocities, for the war crimes that our armies committed against your people. He said, I don't ask you to forgive us because we deserve it. He said, and he pointed to the cross behind him. But he said, I ask you to forgive us because the same blood of Jesus covers us that covers you. And then one by one, they went to each other, and they put their arms around each other, sobbing and crying, forgiving each other, loving each other. And for two and a half hours, there was no singing, there was no preaching, they just loved each other in Jesus. Friends, there will never be a human ambassador or, or diplomat who can reconcile people like Jesus can, because only he can give you the ability to love people like that, even your enemies. Are you with me? We tell the world, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, and they've never seen love like that. They don't know what love is really like until they see it in a picture in the family of God. That's what's so beautiful about this church. You have people from all kinds of backgrounds and, 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 and differences. But when they see this, they see this is what the love of God is like. This is the power of the love of God to love everyone, even though they look different than me or whatever. That, you know, we might as well get used to it now because this is how we're going to be forever. You understand that? Okay. There's no segregation in heaven. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every color, that's the way God wants it. He loves it that way. So he's wanting us to learn to love like he loves down here now. Just a foretaste of heaven. That's the ability he gives us 
if we let the Spirit come into our heart with His dunamis, His ability and power. But He not only will give us the ability to love beyond our natural ability, He will give us the ability to reach so many, so far, so fast, because a mission we have is so overwhelming. You realize that the world population now is over 7 billion people. More than 2 billion people in the world have never even heard or understood who Jesus Christ is. Why doesn't Jesus just, you know, stand up in the sky with a microphone and tell the world? Because that's not the way he he plans to do it. He uses his body on earth. Do you remember when he said, greater works than these shall you do because I go to my Father? And you're like, how can you do greater works than Jesus? You know, Jesus raises the dead. He heals people. He he forgives sins. You can't do greater works than Jesus. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the Holy Spirit that we've been talking about. He says, it's better for you that I go away because I'm going to send to you another one just like me. But he's not just going to be with you. He's going to be in you. The same spirit that's been in me is going to be in you. You see, Jesus was limited to a body on the earth. He was not omnipresent on the earth. You understand that? So what happened? What are we now? We're the body of Christ. Where's Jesus' body now? Jesus' body has reproduced and multiplied around the world. And this morning, right now, this afternoon, people are being saved and healed and transformed in Indonesia and in China and in Ukraine and in Tanzania and in America right now because what? A greater number of works will be done through Jesus' body now than was even done when Jesus walked the earth. That's the hour we are living in. Greater works than these shall you do. Are you with me? Because of the Spirit's power in us that is enabling us. We can reach so many, so far, so fast, like never before, ever in human history, in church history. Do you know, the problem is, Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell cannot stop it. But sometimes the gates of hell are even the church itself. You know, when the church first started, the first gate of hell was what? The church. Because the Jewish Christians didn't want to reach the Gentiles. And so it took God to come through to them and say, this is what you are like. I have sent you to reach your lost brothers and sisters. And so he shows a vision to Peter, and Peter finally sees it is for all the world. Okay? And so there's an urgency to those that have yet to hear. Remember, we have so many people that have still yet to hear about Jesus. But the problem is we have such a short time to reach them. How many know we live on this earth for a short time, and then what happens? We're gone forever, okay? You're on this planet. When people are not reached before they die, they are then gone and lost forever. How many know we're all, it doesn't sound like good news, but it's just the truth, we're all dying, okay? You know, we live in a fallen world. You know, when you start to get my age, you start to see your expiration date is getting closer and closer and closer, okay? I know I live in a fallen world because when I look in the mirror, everything's fallen, Okay, I'm just getting older and older and grayer and grayer, okay? But that's part of living in this fallen world as a result of our sin. So I have an expiration date. You have an expiration date. Now I know most of, many of you, you're young. And so I remember when I was young like you, you know, I'll never get old. It seems so far away, you know. My two sons, they're still young. They're in their 20s, you know. And 
and uh, they're stronger than me now, and they're faster than me, and they can beat me at almost everything, you know, physically, you know, and, and so they get pretty, you know, sombong and cocky and everything, and so when they're lightweight, I just remind them, I say, you know, boys, just remember, this right here, this is your future, right here, okay? Everyone's turn is coming, okay? Time marches on for all of us, right? So we run out of time. Those two plus billion people that have never heard about Jesus, they are running out of time. They're here for us. Each generation is an unreached people group. Each generation has to be reached before they're gone forever. Are you with me? So we can't take all the time in the world. That's why God is doing what he's doing here. It's growing so fast. Jesus knows how short the time is. Amen? And he wants to use us. He gives us all the abilities, whatever it takes. To get the job done in time. It's easy to get the job done when you have all the time in the world. But we don't have all the time in the world. But he's enabling us to do it even in the shortest time possible. Because he cares more about them than even we do. It's urgent. God is finding all kinds of ways to reach the lost, to reach those and he, that's why Jesus kept moving. He would go, and if they didn't receive him, it broke his heart, but he would move on. He'd shake the dust off his feet. He'd move to another place because he had to keep going. Paul went to city after city after city. He'd go to the synagogue. Most of the time, the Jews rejected Jesus as their Messiah, and he, it broke Paul's heart. He was a Jew. He wanted his fellow countrymen to come to the Lord, but most of them didn't. He kept moving. Then he turned to the Gentiles. How many are grateful Paul kept going and went to the Gentiles? I, I hope so, because that's what you are. If Paul didn't keep going, you wouldn't be here today. Are you with me? And there are people out there waiting for us to keep going and to keep reaching them. Amen? There's an urgency that we are looking at that God wants us to reach them in time. God's, you know, Satan has his day, but God has his hour. And God is reaching more people now in this hour than ever before. Okay? The country of Tanzania that I told you about, where I was born, just in the last six years, the Assemblies of God in Tanzania, in only six years, has planted, almost started, almost 5,000 new churches in six years. 5,000 new churches in six years. Man, if that doesn't thrill you, your thriller's busted, man. That's the hour we're living in. That's what God's doing. In this world. In China. How many know the kingdom of God's a lot bigger than the assemblies of God? Amen? In China, every day between 30 and 40,000 people come to Jesus every day. Just in China. That's the hour we're living in. Because Jesus knows how short the time is. And he's finding a way to reach his lost kids. You know, I often think about heaven and getting there and I can't wait to meet some of the heroes of the Bible. I don't know about you, but I can't wait to, to meet Moses and Abraham and all those. Paul, the, the missionary who reached his world, and, and John and Peter and James and all of them. John the Baptist. And I want to ask him, what was it like to live in that time and to see those miracles and things like that? But you know, more people are coming to Jesus now by far than there were when they walked the earth. Okay? More by far. And I realized one day, the Lord, I felt like, really spoke to my heart and said, you know, when you get to heaven, Jan, 
It's not just you wanting to talk to them and ask them what it was like. They're going to come to you. And they're going to say, what was it like to be there in the greatest hour of harvest in 2018 when I was bringing in a harvest of millions and millions of people like never before in history? What was it like? You know what? You get to be part of this greatest hour of harvest. God, how many know you are not born by accident? I don't care what happened. God chose your DNA. He chose where you would be born and what generation you'd be born in because he trusts you with his harvest. He purposed and designed you to be here now and be part of this church because he knows you have what it takes. You have whatever it takes. What an awesome joy. What a privilege and responsibility to be part of bringing. Each one of us has a field of harvest in our life. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Every one of us have works that God planned for us. In other words, there's a harvest field for Jan Hurst. There's a harvest field for Chris Duncan. There's a harvest field for Gary, for Adam. Each one of us, and God has people ready and waiting for you to reach that only you will reach with his ability, with his dunamis. Okay? He's got them ready and waiting for you. And all you have to do is use what's in your hand. Amen? What's in your hand? Your time, your talents, your training, your skills, your, your treasures, your resources. All that he's put in your hands, if you use it fully, you would not believe the people that God's going to use you to bring home into his family before their time runs out. That's what he's doing in this church. God... Years ago, when we had the door closed to us in Indonesia, we lived here for four years as missionaries, and the door closed right at the end of our four-year term, and we were so heartbroken, we didn't understand it. But how many know when something happens, God's already way ahead. He has something planned. One door closes, He's got an open door waiting for you. And God spoke to my heart one night, something that I wasn't interested in, I didn't believe in, I had no experience in it, I had no training in it. But long story short, God put in our hearts to come alongside and work with local churches to use all the abilities and all the opportunities through media and all kinds of vehicles and platforms to reach their unreached cities, not only through mass evangelism, daily mass evangelism, teaching, small group, online, on the air, on the ground. And we didn't know if it was, if, if it was God. You know, sometimes you can think God told you and you're like, I think God told me, but you know what? You want to know if you know what God told you? It'll happen. You know, when Chris and Carrie had this vision, I'm sure there were times when there may have been doubt years ago, but you know what? If God's given the vision, it will happen. And it's happening. It's happening right now with I.C. Madon. And so now today, every day on every continent in the world, the Lord is using this ministry with local churches. We have in, we're, we're on, started on secular radio stations. He said, I don't want you to go on Christian stations. Christians listen to Christian stations. I want you to go where the lost listen. You know, a fisherman doesn't go fishing in an aquarium. A fisherman goes fishing in the ocean where the fish are. Are you with me? Go where the lost listen. Where they're listening to Bruno Mars and Taylor Swift, they can hear about Jesus. That's where we need to go. Okay. And so God opened the doors. We're on in countries up to 10 times a day, and we don't pay a dollar 
for airtime anywhere. And we present Jesus in every program and message. On top secular stations. People are like, how do you do that? That's a miracle. Of course it's a miracle. But God's dunamis does it. You with me? That's the hour we're in. This is God's hour. Just one example, a pastor of a church in, in Colombo, Sri Lanka. It's a church of about 10,000 people. He does, the name of our program is Think a Minute. It's actually longer than a minute, but think several minutes doesn't, you know, sound so good. So uh, my wife, is, it was her, her idea for the name of it. And so he's been doing it in his country now. He reaches about 2 million people a day on the radio, three times a day on five stations, both English and Sinhalese. Two million a day that he's then reaching and connecting to his church in that city, making his church known. If, if he wasn't doing that, the vast majority of his city wouldn't even know his church exists. You see, this is what the local church has got to start understanding. Okay, The church has to connect to the multitudes. And when God has given us opportunities, God expects us to be faithful with those opportunities. He expects us to be faithful with the abilities and tools he's given us. He's going to say, what did you do with this? It was sitting right there on a silver platter for you, you see. And that's what we come along and help local churches. He reaches 100,000 a day just through, through um, SMS texts on, on the national cell phone network in that country. Okay, That's what God is doing in this hour. The China government came to us and said, we want to publish books of your messages. This is the China government. Long story short, we published three books in China. They're sold throughout the universities in China and the national bookstore chain. I went there for a book tour, and they welcomed us, big think-a-minute banners. I was teaching in universities in lecture halls of six, 700 students. I was teaching in communist China from the Sermon on the Mount in universities there. I was on television teaching from the Sermon on the Mount. Friends, this is God's hour. God's opening doors for us that we've never had before because he knows how short the hour is and how many are still waiting to be reached. All we have to do is just obey, just be stewards of what he's given us, wise managers. He'll even give us abilities to give beyond what we thought we could give. You know, there's a little church in Hawaii, a church of only 100 people, and those 100 people give over $400,000 to missions every year. Just a little church of 100 people. There are teenagers in that church that I know personally. They're friends of ours. Teenagers in high school. They've not even graduated high school. They're not even university yet. And they give five and $600 a month just to missions. That's not even including their tithe. You're like, how do they do? You know, because it's God's ability and he opens their heart. That doesn't mean everyone's supposed to give like that. God has a plan for each of us. He uses each of us. But it shows you what we can do when we just rely on God's ability to work through our lives. Amen? God wants us to maximize and multiply the abilities he's given us. Our time, our talents, our training, our treasures. There's a man from India that I want to tell you about in closing named Jacob. His name is Dr. Jacob. And he grew up a very poor boy in India, dirt poor, out in the village, out on the desa. And a missionary was there in that area, and he saw Jacob as a, as a young boy, and he saw that Jacob was very smart. And he sponsored Jacob all the way through school, all the way through medical school. And Jacob graduated, became an eye surgeon. 
But instead of staying in the West and making a lot of money, which he could have as an eye surgeon in America or the UK or wherever, he came back to India because he wanted to bring sight to millions of Indians because India has more blind people than any country in the world, 15 million blind people in India. But the tragedy is most of them don't have to be blind. They just have cataracts. They just get worse and worse, and they become, all it takes is simple cataract surgery, and they'd have their sight back. And so he felt called of God to go back to his country and bring sight to the blind to as many people as he possibly, he's trying to bring sight to all 15 million if he can, just by himself. He has so refined his skills as a surgeon with cataract surgery, he can do a cataract surgery in two minutes and restore sight to them. Okay, most eye surgeons in the West will do about 400 surgeries a year. He does up to 400 surgeries a day. Okay, and he comes into these poor villages and he sets up with his team and he has two beds and he has a stool. He sits on it and then there's a, a microscope on each bed to look at their eyes and they bring them in and he works here. He swivels on his stool. He works for two minutes restored their sight swivels here two minutes back and they keep bringing in the patients two minutes two minutes two minutes and he works like that all day long for up to eight hours straight he will not take a break he will not eat he will not drink he will not go to the bathroom because he said if i take a break that's that many fewer that will not get their sight if I stop to take a break, he said, if I took two, just two short breaks a day, that would, by the end of the five days that I'm there, it would be up to 500 people that didn't get their eyesight because I had to take a break. He said, I'm not going to do that. I don't have to be comfortable all the time. I mean, look at that. But that's the kind of heart that he has that's full of Jesus, the dunamis, the power, the love of Christ that is controlling him. But he doesn't just give them physical sight. Every patient then, he gives them a Bible, and then they meet, and they have Bible studies, and he tells them about Jesus to give them spiritual sight and eternal life. Friends, imagine what God wants to do through your life as you just give him what's in your hand that he's put there, how he will maximize and multiply the abilities he's put in your hands to reach this world. This church, you would not believe how much more God's going to do through this church. You wouldn't have believed a couple years ago you'd be at 500 right now. Where do you think you're going to be in another couple of years? I believe this church is going to reach thousands. Why not? There are so many to reach. And God's going to use this church to influence other churches with vision. And you get to be the ones in this greatest hour of harvest to be part of that. Because God has given each of us a harvest field and whatever it takes, the abilities we need. He's put the task in our hands and he's put the abilities to do it in our hands.